Welcome to episode four of the Floss for Science podcast, the podcast about free, libre, and open source software for science. Today, Patrick and I are interviewing Cal Bottiger, assistant professor at the Department of Environmental Science Policy and Management at UC Berkeley. We will talk about his research as well as the Rocker project, which provide customized Docker container for the R environment. Hi, Carl. Thank you for being with us today. Could you please introduce yourself and briefly explain to us your current research? Hi, so I'm Carl, and my research falls into really three different areas. I'm an ecologist by training. Most of my work is what you would call computational ecology. I'm interested in understanding how ecosystems go through sudden shifts, uh, and if we can detect early warning signs or other indicators that a system might go through a sudden change in regime. I'm also interested in how we can bring more ecological data to bear on these questions. Uh, which leads to my more computational work in building uh, software and data tools to synthesize the really diverse, heterogeneous kinds of data we encounter in ecology. And then lastly, I'm interested in how we can turn data into decisions, uh, particularly given all of the uncertainty we have in both the data available and just in our knowledge of uh, ecological and environmental processes. So we borrow tools from Um, artificial intelligence and decision theory to figure out how to make good decisions in an uncertain setting. Okay, thanks for the explanation. And how do you use free software in your research? So open source software is fundamental to my day-to-day work. Um, most of the research that I do takes place in the R environment, which has pretty much become a sort of standard computational environment in the ecological and environmental sciences. Uh, This involves using existing suite of packages, as well as often writing our own software packages, both to uh, implement algorithms that our group is working on, uh, implement different data structures, and just provide a way to package up uh, even the research for a particular paper in a reproducible um, and consistent manner. Okay, so for our listeners, could you briefly explain what AIR is and, yeah, what it is used for. Yeah, so R is a computational statistics language. And when you hear a sort of statistics language, you think like, oh, that should be good for fitting a linear model. You don't think that it would be a language that would also let you create a website or uh, perform sort of arbitrary level computations in a high-performance computing environment. But R has really evolved over the years. And it's sort of, Killer app feature is being very permissive in what it allows its own developers to do on the language. And this has recently led to just a big explosion with a sort of rise in data science of people extending the R language in all different directions that let it become both a research tool, a high performance computing environment, a statistics environment, and a web environment for interacting or creating. Uh, web apps and websites and other things like that. Okay, so yeah, today we talk about the Rocker project. And before we go to Rocker, could you explain what is Docker and what is a Docker container? Yeah, so Docker is something that kind of lives in different worlds in academia and its role in, in industry. It's a technology that has taken the internet by storm as a way of simplifying and streamlining one's ability to deploy applications at large scale. 
But its interest, I think, in an academic context is somewhat different than my uh, interest in Docker. Came really from the challenge of being able to reproduce existing analyses more so than scaling it up or deploying them in sort of highly uh, redundant environments. So Docker is um, technically it's it's one of those things that's giving a precise technical definition of what Docker is, requires getting a lot of verbiage right about Linux containers, um, but understanding why you care about Docker, um, you often don't get from a precise technical description of what it is anyway. So I think I'm gonna focus on the why instead of the what. For me, Docker is a way of packaging up your computational environment um, in a way that you can hand it off to another computer or another person um, and they can reproduce exactly what you have. So we used to do this with virtual machines, which are very sort of big, heavy, clunky way of doing this. Docker is a, just a much more lightweight approach uh, to kind of put things in sort of a standard container. I do think that the, the whole shipping analogy container metaphor that Docker uses is uh, quite apt and quite powerful. You know, when we were moving around um, freight all around the world in all different shape boxes and sizes, it's pretty much what software used to look like as well. And everything had to be unloaded with a specialized team knowing exactly how to move a crate of chickens versus a crate of um, eggs versus a, a barrels of oil or whatever. Now you just put everything in the same shape container. It doesn't matter what's inside. You just need a crane or a train or infrastructure that knows how to move containers. And suddenly all software is the same. All objects are the same. And that's exactly what the, the Docker ecosystem has brought to the software environment. Is there any reason why you chose Docker over, let's say, uh, other competitive uh, products such as LXC or uh, Rocket? Yeah, I'm not familiar with Rocket. I mean, there's a lot of close parallels to the technology behind them. I mean, Docker is basically built on the same concept as the um, LXC containers, as far as my understanding goes. The advantage of having something that was relatively mainstream and had widespread commercial support just means that it's easily available uh, to most users that are not going to have a lot of background knowledge and how to set this up on their own machines. So having a large uh, open source ecosystem uh, of tooling available. Okay, so you chose uh, Docker uh, on a support point of view, like having a wider community allows easier deployment and easier to find documentation. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, and Not that this is, begins as a strategic choice. You know, you're looking around for a tool to say, we have this problem. You know, software is, particularly in a research environment, is highly heterogeneous. You use software environments that are particularly customized to the exact question that you're trying to answer, often use made up of, you know, not um, commercial or widely available software components, but really a lot of only research-grade software that quickly changes and may not be stable. So you have a very fragile environment and a very complicated environment in which you do most of your computing. And so we just needed a solution to that. And we had already looked around at other things like some of the virtualization, um, sort of creating full virtual box containers or virtual box images. And it's very difficult to start plugging those together if everything you do is its own giant virtual EVM. Um, they don't really talk to each other very well. Docker provided a simple way to abstract that that was widely adopted and uh, a wide group of community tooling around that. 
a good example is the open container standard and the ability to, for instance, turn a Docker container into a singularity container to run in a high performance computing environment on most academic computing clusters uh, in a way that meets the security needs of those environments. Okay. And many orchestration tools that are currently developed, such as Kubernetes or... Right, exactly. The orchestration, the whole sort of community that comes along with that kind of get for free. Okay. Um, in your publication title, An Introduction to Rocker Docker Containers for R, which we will link in our blog post, uh, you mentioned issues such as portability, scaling, reproducibility, and convenience for our users and developers. Uh, could you explain to us how Rocker ad ad addresses each of these challenges? Let's start, for example, with portability. What do you exactly mean by that term? So portability means basically something that runs on one bit of hardware, you want to get to run on another bit of hardware. Now, there are many different reasons why you'd want to do that. And uh, each of those kind of appears in the other terms. So we'll probably talk more about them then. You want a colleague to be able to run your work. You want to be able to run your work on a different computer later on, or perhaps on a computer that has more resources, such as in an HPC or cloud environment. So any of those are some fundamental challenges in portability. Uh, common aspect to that for us as well of working simply across platforms, across operating systems, and getting the same computational behavior. Okay. How does Rocker help me when I need to share a script with a colleague that I developed? So this is a sort of a common task for Rocker. You have completed some analysis, perhaps put into a published paper, uh, and your colleagues want to be able to replicate your results so they can start to poke and prod and explore them. So Rocker provides a way for them to quickly get the exact computational environment I use. They can either install Docker on their laptop or run in a cloud environment. That's completely up to their whatever is most convenient for researchers. And then by simply writing a one-line command, they can find themselves in a familiar uh, computational environment, such as the R Studio interface or the R command line, where they can start to run the analyses that we have already run and see if they can get the same results. Is Rocker completely monolithic? I mean, if you have a Rocker instance, will every user share the same configuration or is it user configurable? Great question. That's exactly the point uh, that one of the advantages of using Docker is that it is completely uh, configurable. So it's configurable in a couple different ways. You can sort of opt into the Rocker stack at different levels. So you say, I just want a basic R environment that's the same version of R every time, the same libraries every time, that's all I need, versus I want an image that also includes like an R Studio server interface where I can run on a remote server and have a familiar environment, or I want the whole kitchen sink, I need a bunch of geospatial libraries that are super difficult to install and configure. So you can kind of pick an image that meets those requirements, from Rocker's base image to the R Studio image, to tidyverse image, to a geospatial image. Um, but that's just the beginning, right? So you can easily sort of look under the hood out of any of these images and say, I need to customize this to meet my own needs. People do that in one of two ways. Uh, one is to build their own Docker files that extend part of the Rocker stack. So you say, this is a good starting point for me with, say, R Studio and R already installed and stable versions. Now I have all this custom software that my particular research group uses, and I'll just build that on top by writing my own Docker file that depends on the previous Docker file. 
it's also easy for a researcher to sort of look under the hood at any of the recipes for the existing stack and say, no, I need this particular library instead of that library. I want it with a different set of last libraries, for instance, to do my linear algebra and the ones that you've built in. It's easy to see both what we have done and change it because you have these reproducible scripts to create the environments as well as the environments themselves, these kind of big binary images you download from Docker Hub. Okay, coming to the next issue you addressed in your paper, it's yeah, scaling. How does Rocker help with scaling issues when I go from a single computer? For example, I use my notebook to develop the application and then I want to go to a high performance cluster because I have a large data set. Yeah, so most ecology is done on individual laptops doing computation in uh, graphic room environments such as our studio that are very familiar, easy to use, and easy to customize. When we ask a researcher, they first run into some scaling issue where they've got some very intensive task. The natural solution is to use a larger machine with more processors, run things in parallel, get access to more memory. Uh, the typical answer is to go and sort of step back in time to this mode of having to SSH or tunnel into an HPC environment where everything looks different and they have no control over the particular software environment. For instance, there's a particular set of compilers and particular version of R, if R is installed at all, on that machine. And the only way to customize that environment is to communicate back and forth with support team for the HPC cluster to have the admins install the particular software you need, which basically makes it, uh, raises the barrier to being able to deploy anything on those environments. You have to have a bunch of computational knowledge that our students don't often have have, and you still have to invest a lot of time in testing, is this backwards compatible? Will it work with the versions of compilers, blah, 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 on that machine? So Docker takes all of that out of the equation. So one can simply run the Docker container with the same environment that you've already tested locally in the HPC environment. So depending on how your HPC is set up, if you're running, for instance, on typical cloud platforms, uh, such as the National Science Foundation provides through the Jetstream and Chameleon projects, or if you're running on commercial cloud like Amazon, you can just run Docker natively. Um, you just pick a machine of the right size and say, okay, run my container in Docker, interact with our studio, great. If you're in a more traditional HPC environment, uh, there's a set of software that's been developed at the Lawrence Berkeley National Labs called Singularity, which will run Docker containers in those environments. And so it's just different name, almost the same command, singularity run instead of Docker run. You can run your code um, in on the HPC systems. I would have a few questions regarding the use of R for HPC environments. I suppose that going from a single computer to HPC requires some careful adaptations of R script. Uh, does R support the massive parallelism required for high performance computing, or how well does it adapt to this kind of environment? Yeah, that's a great question. This is kind of the magic of R in what we've seen particularly happening recently. So like any other language, like the language is really just syntax. That's sort of user-facing aspect. And R makes it incredibly easy to do sort of what we call metaprogramming, where you often will not execute the, the code that you write through the standard R um, interpreter, but that can be inspected and turned into, passed off to another language like C, which is much faster. Um, and it can already be built for, to take advantage of certain high-performance libraries. 
uh, a lot of R, even without sort of non-standard evaluation approaches there, is already just calling out directly to classic C or Fortran libraries, things like the dense linear algebra and so forth that are already well optimized in the HPC environment. So at that level, it's kind of irrelevant what the user-facing code is. You're always running the same Fortran C libraries to do linear algebra in those environments anyway. It's just a matter of having support for those libraries and then having the bindings to R. Because R is so easy to extend, we've seen the massive explosion in that. So if you want to call the latest machine learning libraries that have been coming out in Python that call special scripts for uh, processing on GPUs, there's R bindings that are actually calling into Python that are then calling out to lower level scripts and lower level code for doing machine learning. So Keras is one example of that. Okay, so let's change a little bit the topic. And yeah, I think reproducibility of published research can sometimes be very difficult due to missing information and details in the articles. Can you say something about these issues in your research domain? Yes, I think that this is often kind of the overlooked area of reproducibility that we think if you just describe in vague terms, like, oh, we've I've gathered this data, we perform the following statistical analyses, anyone in any environment should be able to do much the same. As our methods have gotten more complicated, it's become uh, less obvious exactly what someone has done when they say that they have done a particular kind of analysis. Sometimes it would be common to cite a particular piece of software, or maybe even include an R script that says, look, this is exactly the script I ran. And you think that uh, at that level, once there's a script, surely the code should now be reproducible. And that's kind of the approach that I came into through most of my graduate work and had a pretty eye-opening experience when some colleagues at one of the synthesis centers decided to attempt to reproduce a series of studies in our fields uh, that had published code, including a study I had written, and uh, found that simply recreating the software environment in order to run that code was... Um, both undocumented in my paper and then in contacting me and asking me sort of, well, what software I would name this particular ODE solver, which was no longer available and had been given a new name. Uh, and so the parts had sort of all moved away. And it was the problem about even getting the code to run was much harder than uh, I think we often give credit to. And it goes sort of under the radar. The genesis of the Rocker project probably comes from these issues that you're trying to solve with it? Right. So it was sort of an attempt to kind of speak to those issues. And there were many other discussions at the time of, oh, you can list all the versions of your packages and then someone can reinstall and recreate that by themselves. We wanted something that was not only like possible to just document everything, but also practical that without spending hours and hours like studying documentation and trying to find you could just have everything ready to run. In your publication, you also mentioned that Rocker is convenient for our users. What benefits can users expect over using pre-installed version provided by their institution or over a standard R installation from files hosted on the comprehensive R archive network, aka CRAN for people in the know, where users can also obtain additional packages? Yeah, great questions. Those are both sort of important challenges uh, for reproducibility and uh, good motivation for Rocker. So there are, are lots of different um, versions of R that are released at different times. We just had that 3.4.4 released in April. We expect 3.5.0 to be released. Uh, and 
for most users, these don't change anything. Their previous code should still run. Um, but now and again, they do. You know, every time you change something in software, it can have consequences to code that runs on that platform. So you know, if you're really worried about being able to ensure reproducibility, you don't just need access to a version of R that might be available from your institution or uh, downloaded from the official mirrors. You want to be able to access the exact version you were running at the time that you did your last analysis. So one of the advantages of Rocker is it provides a version suite. Uh, another uh, challenge is that, as we were just discussing earlier, a lot of what R does is call into external libraries. Um, these are, even though you download R, uh, it won't even run if you don't have all of the different libraries um, configured. And there are often different choices for what those libraries are. For instance, R ships with its own linear algebra solvers, but there are obviously quite a number of other available open source and commercial servers that you might want to plug in. Uh, Rocker gives um, a set of choices, not necessarily the best, but a, tries to please sort of a wide audience, sort of pre-configured external library dependencies. But by using Rocker, we all know that we're getting the exact same experience, the same choices of those libraries. So we're standardizing all of those other things that don't come bundled with R. This is particularly important on Linux distributions uh, for users that are installing in Mac and Windows environments. The CRAN or CRAN network you mentioned provides binaries of the packages and binaries of R, or at least those basic libraries are built in. But then as soon as you want to go and deploy in a Linux environment, particularly in a high-performance server, you need to install all of the additional external library dependencies before your packages can even install. It's worth saying in other words about the uh, obtaining additional packages, making sure that that's reproducible was another goal of the Rocker project. So in addition to giving you a consistent version of R, we make sure that we lock to a particular snapshot of the CRAN archive. Every day, the CRAN archive is getting new or updated versions of existing packages. And so this makes another point at which software can move and change and break existing behavior. By locking to a particular date using these MRAN snapshots, which are now hosted by Microsoft, you can get an exact version of the package that you were using at that time every single day. Uh, the user can control this, of course, uh, request a particular point in time where they want their snapshot to be based. Okay. Sometimes in the HPC environment, you don't have administrative rights over the instance you're running. Um, could you install Docker containers without administrative rights and run them? Exactly. That's, so, yeah, having administrative rights is a, is a big challenge in HPC, and it's the reason that you often have to talk to the admins about getting your particular piece of software installed. The Docker solution in that environment is to simply ask the HPC admin to install Singularity, Singularity can run without administrative rights. You would need, you can't just log into most HPC clusters and install Docker, you can't install anything. And you couldn't get Docker to run out of the box in that environment because it requires admin rights. So Singularity was developed almost exclusively at the beginning to address that problem of being able to run these containers without requesting any administrative rights. The containers run inside their own container, they're Linux jail basically, and so, they can't interact with parts of the system and not have access to. Okay, the previous focus was much on users who want to use yeah, Air packages, but how can developers yeah, benefit from using Rocker? 
That's a great question. So developers are another important audience uh, for Rocker. One of the classic examples is in being able to test our packages that they are building with very particular configurations. For instance, a CRAN network requires the use of uh, checking sanitizers on any compiled code and simply getting R to build correctly with sanitizer checking for absan um, can be difficult. Uh, being able to download a Rocker absan container and have sanitizer checking built in when you're compiling package and typically compiling any C or C++ code where we need to do sanitization checks and all the pointers is a huge benefit for, uh, for Rocker users and a common use of the package. Developers also want to check that their work, uh, anything they're making, can run on different versions of R. So being able to access different versions is an important aspect for them as well. Okay, so imagine some of our listeners would be interested to use Rocker. How can he get the Docker file for Rocker? And yeah, how could he start to use it? Could you explain it briefly? Sure. So everything is on GitHub, uh, github.com slash rocker-org is our GitHub organization. Uh, we also have a website, which is a little bit more user-friendly than navigating GitHub if you haven't navigated GitHub before. Uh, so that's rocker-project.org, uh, which gives some overview on how to get started uh, installing Docker and then running your first Rocker container. Uh, rockerproject.org also gives you a summary of the different images that are available through the Rocker project. So if you're looking for a particular image that has our studio or has our shiny or has a particular set of geospatial libraries, you can find that on the rockerproject.org. There's also further documentation on the website for common use cases like being able to share uh, your local file system with the running container so that you can use your normal file manager instead of having to move everything around as if you're on a remote machine. Besides what we previously spoke about, what are the most important features of Rocker which researchers could also benefit from? And could you phrase it in two sentences? Well, I think we hit on the most important things already. I think reproducibility is number one. Um, being able to access a consistent um, and standardized environment. And the other is simply convenience. So being able to go from zero to fully functional RStudio environment on a remote machine like super quickly without having to sit around and wait for everything to install and figuring out what to install and how to install it. Beside the Docker files, which are hosted on your GitHub project, is there a community around Docker? Yeah, so the Rocker community probably falls into three groups. The sort of at the core are the community actually developing the, the Docker environment. Uh, and this is where we've benefited from a lot of expertise um, both from my collaborator, uh, Dirk Edelbuttle, who's been the maintainer in the Debian system for about two decades for all of the all, all things are, and really understands a lot about the details of how a Debian environment uh, needs to be designed to be maintained and be stable and performing over, over the long term. And then other members that are really Linux DevOps experts that can look at the individual Docker files and give us feedback as to this would be more uh, performant or more user-friendly if you use this init system or if you change the way that this particular batch could this work. And really into the guts that most of our users will never see. That helps us optimize performance and uh, compatibility throughout the, you know, the Docker files. The second community is kind of the, the R developer community. So they're usually not wanting to get into the Linux details, 
but they're interested in the sort of higher level choices of our libraries that are available on those images and contribute a lot of feedback to pointing out new libraries that have come out or changes we want to be aware of that help our images evolve to be always providing sort of uh, a robust and uh, useful environment. The third community is sort of purely consumers. So they're the people that don't want to look at the Docker file, probably don't want to know anything more about Docker than they have to. They just want to be able to reproduce some existing code or be able to just get access to our studio on a remote server and they could care less how. Uh, so for them, everything should just kind of work out of the box with as little hassle and uh, with maximum reviews to the Okay. Uh, for your Docker files, which base OS are you installing by default? So all the Docker files are based on Debian. Debian is probably the most widely used base images, Debian and Ubuntu. So apt-get base installation system throughout um, Docker. And of course, with Dirk's expertise in the Debian system, uh, really helps in fine-tuning the way that these images are designed. We use two different versions of the stack. There's a stable stack, so it's all on Debian stable. And then... Uh, this is great for reproducibility, but of course, Debian has releases like every two years, plus or minus. So newer software has to be compiled from source. There's a second stack which builds on Debian testing with app spinning to Debian unstable, where you can get kind of the latest and greatest right off the, the Debian mirrors. That's great that you don't have to install everything from source. You can just get upstream Debian builds, but it does mean that uh, you're naturally in an unstable environment. Um, so as one component changes, you may have to update another component. So we have both the stable and the unstable stacks. Okay. If someone wants to join the community of Rocker and want to help with it, which communication channels should be look into? GitHub issues are really our major interface with the community. We get tons of pull requests from people saying, uh, can we improve or tweak this image in this way? We often discuss those over issues ahead of time. But we also get issues from novice users looking for help on how to find out uh, which image to use or change some particular configuration. Uh, we're both Dirk and I can also be reached on Twitter. We get feedback and interaction quite a bit uh, about the Rocker project through other Twitter users. Um, so either channel is a good way to reach us and uh, certainly welcome community input and discussion. Um, and uh, and contributions so it's really been a community driven project um with contributions from people of all backgrounds and all skills whether they're used docker for the first time and have written a blog post explaining how to do it or whether they're they're deep in the guts such as you know even maintainers from the, the docker project itself who have given us quite a bit of feedback as we formed the uh, rbase image which skills would be required to contribute to the project so as I was saying, we get people from all levels. So really, if you know how to use a computer, if you want to use R, you're, you already have skills to contribute. Hop on, test out the project. It should work for you. If there are things that don't make sense, usually you say the documentation is too technical or whatever, you let us know, and that's useful feedback. And, uh, and we, we love to have it. Of course, you know it's all the way down to if you are you know, a major developer in R or in uh, a Linux maintainer, you will have skills to improve the individual images or push us in new directions. Uh, we've had a bunch of contributions recently in expanding to a machine learning image. So people with particular expertise in uh, setting up machine learning environments, particularly the environments that will work on the NVIDIA GPU systems. 
have been contributing and uh, helping to design an image. We welcome input on that. It's a pretty active project right now. We'll skip to a more philosophical part of the discussion. What would you say is your vision about FLUS and its importance for the openness of science? Yeah, I think the open source community has a lot to teach the way that we do science. Um, science has a kind of one and done um, view in the way that we create products, products as papers. They often don't go through versions and uh, they don't think a lot about how other people will build on the work. You know, we worry a lot about whether people will cite the work, but that often represents a very superficial level of engagement with the results. You know, so-and-so said this was true. Um, when we're reusing software, you're not simply uh, depending on previous software because it said something was true, because it really enables you to do something you couldn't do before. And the idea of being able to sort of build something that enables other researchers to do something they haven't done before is fundamental to the way we do science. It really builds on itself. And um, the infrastructure we use to do that, papers, has been relatively um, you know, unchanged for the past 400 years. And I think we can learn a lot by being able to expose the methods and care about things like what is the we don't think about what's the user interface for this paper, what's the sort of reproducible part, um, what's the API, what are the things that I'm communicating um, in these results that other researchers can then build on, and uh, the importance of making that, the difference between making that possible and making that easy to do. That also goes quite a bit to ways in which you distribute and share all of those pieces. Simply having the paper often isn't enough because the results now depend on software and depend on data. So we need to have access to those too, and access in a way that just as in software, we need the right version and we need to know which version things came from. We want to be able to do that for kind of all of research in general, not just for, for software. Okay. Do you think that using FLOSS could have a negative impact on science? That's a good question. It's not easy for me to think about that. Um, we've So much of science is about sort of an open source in spirit, and uh, I think it's trying to become more open source in practice. Um, often the concerns about the open source, about sort of making, for instance, software open source in scientific context is that there is no way to support that. And I think the success of so many open source projects uh, belies that, that claim, but it is an important thing to think about if you're creating a project that other people are going to use down the line, what is the model for maintaining that uh, that project that uh, it doesn't keep its it won't maintain itself so that requires continued investments of resources selling the software is one way to say oh I can be sure that the software will be maintained and exist three years down the line five years down the line ten years down the line figuring out sustainability when software is built in an open source model is certainly possible but it requires a very different approach and, and I think we need to adjust both our expectations of that software and the way that we organize our communities around this open source software to ensure that at least things that become crucial infrastructure um, are sustainable. The, the real challenge, the real negative impact of open source software on science for the moment has been that so much of it has such a short sustainability lifetime and it just makes the reproducibility work all that much harder when uh, the packages that you're using are no longer maintained. What is your favorite text processing tool? Uh, Microsoft Word, LibreOffice, LaTeX, Markdown, Emacs, uh, anything else? 
Yeah, so my answer is always going to be R Markdown. So R Markdown is a flavor of Markdown, like it sounds like, except you can embed R code into the Markdown. Uh, this has become pretty much the sort of standard way for R users to communicate their results. Uh, it gives you all of the advantages of Markdown output. So you can push it out through Pandoc, which will run LaTeX and give you nice PDFs for journals. We'll give you nice Microsoft Word documents or LibreOffice documents for your Word. Uh, Word-based collaborators. You can edit in Emacs. So really, it gives you all of the above, right? But your fundamental sort of go-to environment is the R Markdown environment there for editing that. The ability to execute arbitrary R code um, lets you embed your analysis in with your um, descriptions uh, of that analysis in the, the sort of classic dynamic documentation uh, philosophy of Donald Knuth and many others. And uh, our markdown has just made that really easy to use. So I think it's a great tool. And uh, it's much easier to, to learn than learning LaTeX, and you kind of get LaTeX for free. Uh, it's much more uh, version, you can manage, it's plain text, so you can manage it in a version control system like GitHub, which doesn't really work for Microsoft Word or LibreOffice very well. And uh, it's easy to use in any editor. So you can use Emacs, you can use RStudio, you can use VI, whatever your favorite thing is. Um, is there anything else you would like to share with us? No, it's been great talking to you and hearing uh, the sort of diverse range of questions about Rocker and about Floss more broadly. So it's nice to have this opportunity to share. Okay, if someone of our listeners want to contact you, what is the best way to get in contact with you? So I'm easy to reach on Twitter or by email. Um, you can find links to both on my website, carlbetterger.info or my Twitter handle is C-B-O-E-T-T-I-G. So looking forward to hearing from you. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Carol, for your time and this interview. Um, good luck for your future research. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Take care. Bye. This will be all for today's episode of the Philosopher Science podcast. I hope you enjoyed that interview. You can reach me on Twitter at DLPK. And you can reach me at underscore Debras or both of us at Philosopher Science. Also, we are on iTunes, Stitchers and Google Play Music. You can help us by leaving comments and rating to help new listeners discover our shows. Our website is located at philosopherscience.github.io where you can find more about our contact informations and a link to our GitHub page where you can submit subject ideas for future episodes. Our current schedule is to release an episode on the first Wednesday of every month. You can get our MP3 and AUG RSS feed on our website. We are actively looking for contributors, especially for people in different branches of science for future episodes. Due to our background in mechanical and computational engineering, we may not be aware of all of the software available in other branches of science. Feel free to enlighten us with suggestions from your fields of research. We hope you enjoyed the show and that we will see all of you in our next episode. Bye. Bye.